to hear the ancient word, as we come to hear the word of truth that is as vital and living for us today as when the apostles and the scribes and, and the prophets first wrote them. Let us submit our hearts and our minds to the Lord this morning. Father, we come before you as your children, desperately needy. We are all needy, I foremost, as I come with your word before me to share with the saints. Father, we need you. We say that, we say that, but we do. I pray, God, that it would not be trite in our hearts and minds, but that we would recognize how much in this life we need you for our very breath, for this very moment. So God, help us to set aside the anxieties of our hearts, to trust you to deal with them. God, for the entanglement of the sin that is in our life, expose it, that we might confess it, that we might hear you, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth, that you would be glorified in your body this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. For many, Sunday morning is a sham. In churches across our community, in churches across the country, in churches around the world, and perhaps even here today, for some here, church is a sham. Well, we we might even come with the right intention to worship the living God, to exhort and encourage one another, to honor Him with passion and eagerness to hear His Word, to be molded and exhorted by Him. But when we're here, that's not what we do. John Owen admitted that we speak much of God, we can talk much of Him, His ways, His works, His counsels, all the day long. The truth is we know very little of Him. Our thoughts, our meditations, our expressions of Him are low. Many of them unworthy of His glory, none of them reaching His perfections. In truth, many of us come worshiping something else. We don't want to be here. We would rather be somewhere else. Perhaps we come out of obligation. Perhaps we are driven by thoughts of what others might think of us if we're not here. What if I don't show up? Maybe I come just for all oh, the feel-good experience of a song. Maybe a lyric that, oh, that, that was good. That was good. Maybe I need just some nugget to get me through my day. I, me, my. But then, let me get to the things I enjoy on Sunday. Football's coming up, hey? It's almost football season again. Oh, you know what? There's a new series came out on Netflix. We can binge it. Yeah, that's what we're really looking forward to on Sunday. Oh, what's in the crock pot? We got ribeye sitting on the counter. No, you can't come over. But none of these things, none of those things are bad things. Those aren't bad things. But the good becomes quickly bad, 
much like when the water that buoyed the Titanic quickly came rushing in and sank it to the bottom of the Atlantic. All of these good things become a stumbling block in our lives, rush in and sink our worship of the living God. The created thing supplants the creator, and we get things out of order. Well, today we're going to look at the third, though not final, temptation that Jesus endured. It is his final temptation in the desert with Satan. In the previous two messages earlier this year, when I had the opportunity to preach, those are, you can listen to them online if you didn't hear them before. But we saw in those temptations that came to Christ that the Word made flesh appealed to the written Word. It's all, it's all Him. To answer the temptations and testings of Satan. And we've seen the power of those words both in our life day to day and in facing temptation. Man does not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is what Jesus Christ answered to the first temptation of Satan. Do not put the Lord your God to the test is what Christ answered in the second temptation. Trust what your Father has said. Today we're going to come to the climax of this desert battle, the conclusion of the desert battle. And we find a simple command. A very simple command. A word that will orient the disoriented, that will strengthen the weak, that will convict and correct the corrupted heart. The simple call to us is that you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Matthew chapter 4 is where we are and recapping where we've been. Jesus is in in the wilderness. He is being... Well, he is currently being tempted of Satan, but that's not why he went to the wilderness. He went there for 40 days of preparation for his earthly ministry. He fasted and prayed during that time. It was time with the Father in preparation for this extraordinary three-year ministry that would end in his redemptive execution on our behalf. He was led, we learn in verse 1 of chapter 4, by the Holy Spirit. By God, the Holy Spirit led into the desert. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, he is confronted by Satan. Now, in the military, when we were preparing for a mission, before the mission, we would get an intel brief on what was going on with the enemy. Okay, the mission was not to be stressed about the enemy. The mission had a focus and a goal, but there were threats along the way, and it was important for us to be aware of those threats. God does not want us to be consumed by Satan. He does not want Satan to be the focus of our life. Okay, It's not something we should stress about and wring our hands about, but God speaks much of him as a warning to us. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of time here helping us get to know our enemy. Very plainly, Satan hates you. Satan 
hates you. I don't mean like a Red Sox-Yankees hatred. I don't mean even Democrat-Republican hatred. This is a loathing to destruction hatred. His very name means adversary. Satan means adversary. And, for, and interestingly enough, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, your adversary, the devil. So Satan means adversary. That word for adversary that Peter uses is different. It essentially means against the law. Your, your foe in a court of law. Your adversary, the one who's suing you, the one who wants to take all your money. Your adversary, the devil, devil, Diabolos, slanderer, slander. What's it mean to slander? It means you're lying about somebody. This, this adversary, your foe, who lies about you, your adversary, the devil. That is how he's described by Peter. He seeks those whom he will devour. But there are other descriptors of him within the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul tells the Corinthian church that he is the God of this world. He has authority in this world here. Also, later in that book, in chapter 11, verse 14, Paul describes him as an angel of light. We go, angel of light, that's great, that's wonderful. But he disguises himself as an angel of light. Goes on in verse 15 of that, of that same chapter, Paul says, It is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So Satan is going to appear right, good, wise. In Ephesians chapter 2, much like the statement that he is the God of this world, Paul describes him to the Ephesian church as the prince, the ruler of the power of the air. So these are descriptors of him. I want to take a look at two particular passages here very briefly. One is in Revelation chapter 12. You can turn there with me if you would. Revelation chapter 12. Verses 9 and 10 are descriptors of Satan. Chapter, or chapter 12, verse 9 of Revelation begins, And the great dragon was thrown down. Well, there's a lot of metaphors and descriptors in Revelation. You go, well, is that really Satan? Well, John will tell us. The great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, that harkens all the way back to the garden, who is called the devil, Diabolos, slanderer, and Satan, your adversary. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accusers of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them 
day and night before our God. This is Satan. He is the deceiver of the whole world. His intention is deception. It is to get you off of understanding the truth. He's trying to blind your eyes. Okay, that's on this plane. In the heavenly realm, he is accusing you. She is in sin. He is in sin. He has, she has rebelled against you to God. He is accusing us. It's what it says. Accuses the brothers day and night before God. Oh, man. It's not a good guy. Flip back to uh, John. Flip back to the Gospels. To John chapter 8. I'd hate to say this is my favorite passage about Satan, but to me it is, it is perhaps the best descriptor from the lips of God the Son to what Satan is and what he is like. Chapter 8, verse 44. He's talking to the Pharisees. He says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he, when he lies, he speaks of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay, This is not an exhaustive study of Satan. But what we can glean from these simple passages here is that there is no good thing in him, apart from his origin, because we know that all things are from God. And when God finished his creation to include the heavenly realm, all was good. He said all was good. So Satan corrupted himself. Perhaps Ezekiel 28, perhaps Isaiah 14 really speak of what Satan was like before that time. But regardless, now we see he is a liar and the father of lies. It's his nature. It's his character. He was a murderer from the beginning. He wants death and destruction. Now in America, we love the anti-hero. Han Solo. You know, yeah, he's kind of a scoundrel, but you love him. Uh, uh, Doc Holliday. Rick Blaine for Casablanca fans uh, out there. You know, this guy, he's kind of seedy, but, oh, you know, he kind of comes through in the end. There's none of that in Satan. If we look at his backstory, it's, it's black. It's inky. It's, it's foul. It's fetid. Come up with your word. He stands opposed to God to the uttermost. God is the author of life. He is a murderer. God is truth. He is a liar and deceiver. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is trying to, Satan is trying to destroy, destruct, and derail everything that God has put in place. That is quite a foe that we face. But understand this, he is not omnipotent. 
He is not omnipotent. He can do nothing apart from God's will and God's design. Nothing. He hated Job. He accused Job before the throne of God. As God pulling out his iPhone to show him pictures of Job on his iPhone. No, he didn't really. Not really. But he was bragging on him. He was bragging on he was bragging on Job. God was. My servant Job. And Satan's accusing him. Well, Satan wanted to destroy him, and so God granted for his good purposes Satan the limited authority to mess with Job. We see that. Joseph declares plainly, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Evil, Satan. What you meant to destroy me, satanic. God meant for good. Satan has no power over our lives as saints that we do not give him. He can tempt you. He can afflict you. He cannot compel you to sin. He can't. If you are a saint. Okay, that's who he is. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4 and look at what he did. Here, I don't want to dwell on him. But it's important that we understand who Satan is in this life. Because he still is. If you don't think he is, you're, you're fooling yourself. And oh, by the way, his angels were cast down as well. We read that just in Revelation. So there's a mess of them out there. Demons that stand opposed to God. So here is the, the, the seething, the, the sickening temptation of Satan, the third temptation. Beginning in verse 8. The devil took him, that is Christ, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So... He is able to move through the physical realm as easily as you move from your sofa to your kitchen. They were at the top of the temple. Now they're at the top of a very high mountain. And Satan is showing him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So that, the, the location at the top of a mountain, the loot really, is all the kingdoms and their glory. And then he lays down this lie. And Satan's temptation is... If you do this, then I'll do this. If A, then B. Okay, or I will do A if you will do B. Two part. Okay, so it's, it's like a bait and switch here. The enticement, what would Satan offer Christ? Verse 9. He said to him, all these I will give you. All the kingdoms of the earth and their glory, all of these I will give you. Power. Satan is offering Jesus Christ power. Good smirk. Satan is offering Jesus Christ glory. I mean, it's, it, I, this, this should make us giggle, okay? He is offering Christ glory. And all the good things that come with it, pleasure, power, praise, pleasure, fellowship, fulfillment. How absurd! 
How silly. Understand this. This is important. Satan has nothing to offer you of his own. He's got nothing to offer you. All he can give, all he can do, are within the lengths and the leash that God has given him. He has no kingdom to give. Romans 13 tells us plainly that all authority on earth is granted by God. Satan has no kingdom to give that God didn't already appoint. He has no glory to give. All glory emanates from the Father. And all glory goes back to Him. There is nothing created that Satan created. They're all created by the living God. Satan is not a creator. He is a destroyer. Okay? So the first thing to understand in the absurdity of this temptation is he's got nothing to give. The second absurdity is they're all Jesus anyway. They are all already his. But not then. Was he very God? He was absolutely God. Was he omnipotent? Absolutely. He set aside these things in becoming man. He submitted himself and completely to the will of the Father. Did he receive glory on this earth? No, he received a crown of thorns, a slashed back, and a crucifixion. Beard plucked, spit on, mocked, beaten. Will he rule and reign? Absolutely. Over all the earth? Absolutely. Physically? Absolutely. Spiritually, absolutely, he reigns even now in his church as the head and is glorified therein. Then was not the time. So there, there were smirks as I was reading the temptation. Understand this. As Satan had nothing to offer Christ that wasn't already his in the first place, Satan has nothing to offer you. He has nothing to offer you. He will offer you things. He will offer you peace. He will offer you joy and hope. He will offer you, offer you satisfaction and love. He will offer you all of these things. But these things cannot come from Satan. All of these things emanate from God for it is who he is. He is the source of those things. And that is why for those who walk in the spirit... For those who love the Lord, who abide in the vine, that's why we sprout those things as natural fruit of our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. 
all of those things that Satan is going to offer to you falsely can only be found in a right relationship with the living God. If you are His, they are yours already. Paul told Timothy, the young pastor, when he was speaking of the rich and the problems that the rich had to deal with, he said, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. That kind of goes back to Sunday school. But on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. I'm looking for fulfillment and enjoyment in, the, in, in Satan, in his enticements. That's silly. It's going to be destruction. It's going to be our death. Only in God are we going to find that we, if we have a right relationship this way, I talk about this all the time, if we have a right relationship this way, everything down here is great. We will have a right perspective on all of these things. It doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, but we will at least have a right perspective on them. And we will find that all things are available for us to enjoy. And that is why earlier in the chapter, Paul told Timothy, if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. I can be content. I can have great joy in these. I can be the richest of men with food and clothing. I can have greater joy than the billionaires on Wall Street, than the casino builders in Vegas, than those who have seaside homes in Big Sur, California. I can have greater joy and greater contentment because it's available to me in my relationship with the living God. It is there. Okay, so this is what Satan offers Jesus. If, second part, if you will fall down and worship me. That sounds pretty simple. But like the worm on the end of a hook, there's always a barb in there. You don't, worms don't naturally show up in the middle of the lake just kind of hanging in space. Fish aren't very bright that way, okay? But neither are we. We go, man, riches, that's great. All I got to do is worship you, okay? And, and, now, it was blatant. The Son of God, it was very blatant to him. For us, we're not that bright in our flesh, we are easily enticed away. The adulteress in Proverbs, oh, her words are smooth, her beauty enticing, and her steps go down to Sheol, to the grave. We don't see the hook. How does he promise us these things? How does Satan promise us? How does, how does he try to entice us? He tries to entice us the same way he enticed Eve in the garden. Did God really say? God has made plain to us. God has made plain to us in his word. And so for those of us who are believers, 
He's going to whisper in your ear, or for those who have heard the word and are not believers, he is going to tease you and say, did God really say? Well, maybe he meant, let me just turn it 15 degrees off center. And he'll make it just a little wonky. He is going to take a good thing and offer it to you at the wrong time. He is going to take a good thing and he is going to offer it to you in the wrong way. He may offer it to you for the wrong reasons. What he offered Jesus, was that bad? The kingdoms of the earth and the glory therein. Is that a bad thing? No. Again, these things will come to him one day. They were things of which Jesus was worthy. But the whispers of the wicked one will come against the saints. He will try and deceive us away, turn our heads, our eyes from the promises of God. We wonder why things are so gooned up in this world and are so messed up in our lives. Why? Because we swallow the germ of his temptation and it sprouts within us a disease that grows. Anxiety wells up within us. Jealousy and covetousness. Bitterness. Malice and anger. Wrath. Divisiveness. Disunity in the church. Impurity and lust within my thought. And my mind. Drunkenness. Because I swallow his deceptions. It messes with my identity. Who am I? What am I? Why do I feel like an epic failure? Why does everything seem meaningless and hopeless to me? Why do so many turn to suicide? Because who they are is messed up under the sun. What about my marriage? What happened to the man that I married? Why is my marriage nothing but a mediocrity? Where's the spice? Where's the excitement in my life? What about my family? My parents don't understand me. My children won't listen to me. I'd rather sit home in the silence of my living room and binge on Netflix or scroll through my phone than communicate with the family who's three feet away. My church, you know, it just doesn't do it for me. Just, you know, where, where I was telling Corbin uh, uh, about Lucas Counterman's church, who's pastor here. Man, they got a big orchestra in the church that they started that started with nothing. They got an orchestra. We still just have a 12-string guitar and a piano. That's ah, just not doing it for me. Where are the drums? Where is the healing where is the spiritual healing in our church? Where's the physical healing? Where is God? 
I got school tomorrow. Uh, Monday. Work, I gotta go work. Work's boring. Work's a grind. Satan messes all these things up. Our entertainment, just he makes a mess of these things. It doesn't take much. All Satan's got to do is give you a little nudge and you go, okay. And we exchange the splendor of God's intentions for a maggoty carcass. If I'm given everything my heart and my flesh desires, I am going to be the most miserable person. Jim Carrey, not a theologian, recognizes this truth. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Jim Carrey. Anthony Hopkins, great actor. You know, I meet young people and they want to act and they want to be famous and I tell them, when you get to the top of the tree, there's nothing up there. Most of this is nonsense. Willy Wonka lied to you. Willy Wonka, at the end of the movie, ah, they're in the great glass elevator. He says, don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. He answered himself, he lived happily ever after. No. You get everything you want and it will be your God and you will be miserable. So there's Satan's temptation for you. If we're left with that, we go, You know, might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But that's not where we're left. Jesus Christ smashes them in the face. He gives a soaring testimony and a declaration to us in the midst of our temptations. The word had already, I said this before, the word responded with the word. If Christ, if God the Son, the word made flesh, responds with the word, then how much more should we Man must nourish himself and find his satisfaction in the word. Man does not live by bread alone. Man must find his stability by trusting in the word. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is what he said. And so here in response, God the Son remains anchored in the word. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I'm going to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This was the passage Tracy read. And this is from where Jesus Christ pulls his response to Satan. Okay? They are about to enter, Israel is about to enter into the promised land in, in chapter 6 and verse 10 of Deuteronomy. And Christ's response is only, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. In the context, though, God is giving Israel a promise. He goes, you are going to go in to this land and you are going to get good cities that you didn't build. You're going to get houses full of good things that you did not fill. You're going to get cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that are exploding and you're going to eat to the full. God is telling them, you're going to get this. This is the promise that is coming to you. It has no barb. It has no hook in it. But he warns them, in this your fill and your satisfaction, verse 12, take care 
lest you forget the Lord. These things are not to be your God. They are good gifts from your God. And you get them and you look to your God and say, thank you. Again, it's a perspective this way. I've got to have this perspective. Ah, you know, I've got this. I've got a cup of water. I've got an iPad. This isn't my God. But what a blessing it is that I can preach off of this and teach through this and use this for God's glory. Do not forget God. He tells them three things. Fear Him. It is the Lord your God whom you shall fear. Ah, reverence, worship, acknowledge and love. Fear Him. Serve Him. How can I not? He's redeemed me. He's brought me out of Egypt. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. It should be my joy. That's what Paul declares. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 I don't live for God's merit. I live, because I, I live because I love him. I do because I love him out of response to him. Not to get a pat on the back from him. That'll come though. I fear God. I serve God. I swear by God. Ooh, you're not supposed to swear. By his name you shall swear. Essentially what he's saying is in your conduct with one another, be truthful. Live that out in your conduct with one another. And then... So he tells them this. Be careful that you don't do this. And he, look what he says. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, fear. Him you shall serve. By his name shall you swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst. God is with you. They could see him, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. God is with you. We have the Holy Spirit. God is with me. Why would I go after other things? Why would I not pursue hard after God? God is with me. Don't go after false gods. Follow hard after God. So, so Christ merely cites that we are to worship, but these command, this command is backed by blessing. God has already blessed us. Worship Him. Find your satisfaction in Him. Now here's the heart of the matter. If you want to turn down the voice of temptation in your life, worship God. If you want to turn down the volume of temptation in your life, I'm not saying you're going to get rid of it. You're not going to in the flesh. But if you want to hmm, bring it down where you can hear God more clearly, worship God. His pleas in Deuteronomy to Israel Things will get in your way. I'm going to lavish on you things, 
but they could get in your way. Don't let them. Love me. If you love me, all else will gain its proper place. You will know who you are. You will know your identity. You will understand how to love your spouse and be my conduit of love through you. You will comprehend the importance of your family and your place within it. You will be overwhelmed by the purpose I give you within my church. School will make sense. Not that you'll understand math any better. But you will delight and desire to go to work on Monday morning. You will say, thank God it's Monday. And Tuesday. And Wednesday. And perhaps even Saturday. We will have a proper perspective and a proper orientation. John Owen exhorted the saints to be much in your thoughts on the nature of God, to abase the pride of your heart, to push down the pride of your heart, to keep your soul humble. If you do that, there will be almost an unwillingness, he says, to tolerate the sin in your life as you think greatly on the greatness of God. God calls out, hear my voice. Don't listen to the whispers of the evil one. My word is food indeed. Do not test me. Trust me. The previous temptations. He says, worship and enjoy me. It's no wonder that Jesus' response to Satan is swift. Be gone, Satan. You, you, you crossed the line. Be gone. You're done here. Now, I'm not advocating anybody to be yapping at Satan. Okay? But, as part of your intelligence briefing, we need to be able to identify the foe. That foe may be temptation within. It might be my own flesh. It may be temptation without. I need to be able to not only identify my foe, but what weapon is he using against me? Is, he, is, is, he, is, it, is it the enticement of gossip? Well, I need to repent of that. No, I'm not going to be part of that. I'm going to flee from that. I'm going to go away from that. I'm going to get that out of my life. Because it counters the will of the Father. Reject it. Hate it. Turn from it. But if you simply do that, you will turn back to it. You have to turn to something, and the thing we turn to is Christ. I must cling to Christ. I must give Him the glory, because only in Him do I have the power that He provides to have victory over sin. Only in Christ. He is the Word. And so, Saint, man, we got to ingest and think on and dwell on the Word. We meet Christ in the Word. Here and we see the truth. We see the good that He has promised for us. We see His glory throughout. And we also see clearly the darkness of our sin within. The flesh that we still battle. We see the way that we should go. 
Christ told the Samaritan woman that God is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. And so don't live a lie. If you are entangled, if, the, if worship has nothing for you, something's wrong. If you are a saint who loves the Lord, weep. Weep for joy. Weep in humility that God has called you and continue to let your heart burst in love for Him. If you are a saint who has been a straddle, two things. If you think you're worshiping God, but you really know you're worshiping other things as well. Weep in grief. Weep that you have put trinkets ahead of your love for the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Turn from these things and turn to him. For the one who stands convicted though, even now, who comprehends perhaps for the first time that in truth God has no place in your life. really don't care. Maybe I should. Maybe he should be my Lord. Today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Don't put this off. If you, don't know, if you don't know God as your Savior, if you do not know that if you did have a brain aneurysm and collapse right now, that you would go to heaven, today is the day of salvation. You can know. To repent of your sin, to trust God at his word, that Christ's work on the cross is sufficient. Your sins are forgiven, and behold, all things are new. Let us go from this place today where we gathered to worship to continue our worship of the living God day by day. Let's pray. Father, we... All of us, at times, perhaps even now, put things ahead of you. Things distract, things get in the way, and we worship other things. Father, that is a rebellious heart. That is a treasonous heart. And so we cry out even now for mercy. We thank you and praise you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you, God, that the work was finished 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ. There is no more sacrifice for sin. Lord, if there be any here that do not know you, I pray that they would turn, that you would work in their hearts and call them by name, that they would know the sweetness of fellowship and worship of you here, even this morning, that today would be the day, today would be their birthday and would thus begin eternal life with you. Oh, Father, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.